I'm Tom Henley, and this is Saga. Today's story comes from the end of the 19th century, but really it spreads all the way up to today. It's a love story that may or may not have been forbidden. You see, today's episode concerns Franz Albert Peterson and Lars Conrad Johansson, two poor working-class Swedes who just so happened to be in love with each other. It's a story that is often compared to Brokeback Mountain, except Franz and Lars never really hid their love for each other. In fact, they shared the same bed for ten years. And so, in this episode, I want to learn more about the two men, and also the history of homosexuality in Sweden in general how the image and tolerance of homosexuality was shaped, how it transformed and twisted, and where it lies today. I first discovered the story of Franz and Lars from a book by Kalle Holmqvist. I wanted to give a, it, it like a s- small part of Swedish history, and especially the... Uh, the history of Stockholm and especially the history of the working class in Stockholm. I'm uh, Kalle Holmqvist, freelance writer and historian. Kalle's wonderful book is subtitled Love and Struggle and it vividly sketches out how life was for the working class, especially in the old town of the capital. I don't know, I wanted to to make a story about two ordinary men Mm. in Stockholm in the late 20th century. Franz and Lars, they both, like most people, like a lot of people in Stockholm at that time, they they came from the countryside to find work and they had different jobs and they uh, moved a lot, mostly in the old town. And this was a time when Stockholm was growing very rapidly Mm. and the population was growing very rapidly. They were both rather poor. They were not really the... The, the stable working class, they were more like the, the under level of the working class. Um, we don't have any letters, we don't have any information about their feelings or their, or their thoughts. Uh, what, is, what is left of them is the um, official records. The great thing about uh, Swedish uh, bureaucracy is that they keep record of everything. Mm. So, I mean, all the police records and all the prison records. and Police records and prison records. This is where the story that first caught my attention comes in. Why would these two working class men be remembered only by their criminal records? What exactly did they do? Well, to understand that, we have to go back to the night of the 26th of August, 1897. They were discovered in 1897 when they were having um, uh, they were having sex in the in in the forest, more or less. And they were discovered by two soldiers, and they were, uh, since uh, uh, same-sex sexuality was um, 
illegal at this time. They were convicted to three months of uh, prison. So, two men are caught having sex with each other in the woods of Stockholm and sentenced to three months in prison. Interesting, but not outstanding. No, you see, what caught my attention was the way Franz and Lars reacted to all of this. When the soldiers are starting to tell them not to do this, they only say it's none of your business. They didn't seem to think they were doing something wrong. That's right. Franz and Lars told the soldiers to keep on walking. Nothing to see here. This is nothing to do with you. When I first heard about this, it just struck me as such an interesting reaction to being caught like that. You see, I would have thought that being caught red-handed in the midst of a homosexual act back in the day when people were still so antiquated in their outlook on life, when thought processes were still so old-fashioned. Well, I would have thought that such an act would have near on sent you to the guillotine. But here are these two men just shrugging the whole thing off. Before we get to why Franz and Lars could have afforded to have been so blasé about their love for one another, I wanted to know more about the two men before that summer night in 1897. They have uh, uh, lived together more or less for ten years. To live together was very common, both for uh, people of the same sex and different sex, because there was a large shortage of, of apartments, as it is today. Uh, so it wasn't, that was nothing that people would uh, react to. We have no, we have no information of what they were calling their relationship or what, how they were referring to their own relationship. We only know that they had been, and it's also, I mean, in the trial, the judges, they are not very interested in that. They don't ask them so much about their private life. They would just want to know, have you been sleeping together? And they, they had been there for, for 10 years. So this wasn't some one-night fling. These two had known each other for ten years, had shared the same lodgings for ten years, and had, in all likelihood, loved each other for ten years. To understand why Franz and Lars would react to being found like that in the woods and telling the soldiers that it was... None of your business. I needed to find out more about the history of homosexuality in Sweden itself. And that's where this guy comes in. Yeah, well, my name is Jens Rydström, and I'm a professor of gender studies at uh, Lund University. Jens is a busy man, and it took a few weeks for him to find a break in his teaching schedules to talk to me, but I'm so glad he did. Because Jens cleared up a lot of things about the tale of Franz and Lars that seemed to me, quite frankly, modern. First, he let me know that the story of Franz and Lars was a story he was familiar with. I know them well, by the way. I mean, I, I write about them in my in my book also, where I, I basically went through court cases in Sweden from 1880 to 1950. And, uh, of course, they were one of the court cases. And other people have also uh, written about them because they're rather extraordinary, as you know. Jens broke it down for me by explaining the history of homosexuality in Sweden. If we go to the big picture, then, homosexual, or let's say same-sex sexual acts, it was criminalized in 1608. It was not criminal in the, in the medieval laws, only bestiality then. And uh, in 1608, it, it was criminalized. And, but the interesting thing happened that when, when uh, the law commission prepared a brand new whole modern law in 1734 they omitted this crime 
and uh, it was discussed in the law commission and the uh, the uh, opinion was that that uh, no let us not spread knowledge about this uh, horrible crime if someone is found guilty of that, uh, they will surely get their punishment anyway. And so uh, from 1734 until 1864, it was not formally a crime in Sweden, but other people have found about 20 court cases in that period when uh, only men, then, about 20 men who was, were caught and, and executed them. So yeah, there were gay men being executed. But because of a hiccup when a new law book was being written in the middle of the 18th century, the idea of being gay was blurred, loosened, and it seems even the very word homosexuality lost some of its stigma. From 1864 then, uh, so-called unnatural fornication was punishable with two years in prison, uh, maximum or two years forced labor actually. But it was, it was very seldom that people were actually uh, prosecuted for that crime. Uh, the same article in the law also outlawed uh, bestiality and the crime a la mode in Sweden, so to say, was to, to have sex with animals. So that was at least the crime that uh, turned up in court then. And now we are fast approaching 1897, the year when Franz and Lars's relationship was discovered, the year that they were caught in the wood, caught in the late summer. What I've been thinking about this as, as a, a some kind of, of crime of modernity in Sweden, an urban crime that with, uh, with um, um, increasing urbanization and, and uh, increasing communications and so on, well, two things happened. One was that, that men had more sex with each other than before. I'm convinced of that before because, uh, I mean, because of, of the, the environment in the cities, etc. Uh, and the other uh, thing that happened was that, that the, the police and, and the courts and so on became more aware of this crime. So if we look at the court statistics, between 10 and 15 prosecutions every year in the whole country until the 1920s, and uh, or the late 1920s, uh, so uh, from the 1930s, let's say, the number of prosecutions for for uh, men who had sex with men increased very very sharply, so that uh, from 10 or 15 uh, per year, it was like uh, over 200 in in uh, the late 1930s and, and early 1940s. I wanted to know more about Franz and Lars's arrest. Was this a freak incident, or had Jens in his research discovered similar stories to these two men? Jens told me that to understand that, I had to realise that the very idea of homosexuality by that point was kind of, well, unheard of. That is to say, it wasn't a big deal. People didn't really care. They wouldn't fight over it or see it as some kind of threat. Homosexuality was still not a, a category or, or a concept that was very well known in Sweden. Uh, only a handful of, of uh, medical experts who had read uh, German sexologist uh, treatises would, would uh, actually know that it existed. So uh, what happened then when the police caught this kind of uh, men who, who were engaged in this kind of actions, if they uh, th they would bring them to court and uh, 
actually not very willingly uh, bring them to court because we know that the police patrolled uh, about this time they patrolled the cruising grounds in Stockholm, uh, at least, and and they didn't actually report people. Uh, there is there there are reports from I think it was 1883 when a couple of policemen sort of patrolled Humlegården in Stockholm, which was one of the oldest, uh, more most traditional cruising grounds. Uh, <clears throat> And they found uh, lots of activities going on. But the problem was that some of the, the, the men there belonged to the upper classes. So they couldn't sort of catch them because then they risked bringing an upper class person to, to the police precinct. And, 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 and the scandal would be too much. And it would be too risky for the poor police officer, actually. So, I mean, that way they were not very keen on, on prosecuting this kind of crimes. Also, something that I have thought of, this is perhaps a merely a speculation, is that, that the police at that time was recruited from the, the military. And uh, we know that about at this time there was a widespread soldier prostitution going on in Stockholm and, and in other places where there were lots of soldiers. We know because um, Magnus Hirschfeld in, in Germany wrote about the, 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 the well-known fact that Stockholm and Helsinki were the most, uh, the, the, the cities where the soldier prostitution was most widespread. When a soldier came uh, new to the regiment. I mean, uh, his older friends could sort of introduce him to to, to nice uh, gays then. I mean, they, they didn't call them that, of course, but nice gentlemen who would like to have something going with them and would pay well and inv invite them to dinners and so on. And one of the men who were, were interviewed then said that it wasn't just about, well, of course, it was about the money, but it was also about getting away from the horrible atmosphere in the regiment and, and to be invited to nice parties and be taught how to, how to eat properly and, you know, all that stuff. So it's interesting, this case that you're you're talking about now, it, it, there you have two guardsmen who actually catches, uh, catch these two workers then, so this is sort of something that that uh, it's a very special case that way because it was not. Uh, I mean, the guardsmen obviously knew what was going on. So when they saw the this couple going up in the in the woods, they probably knew very well what was going on, which some other people would not be aware of them. If it had been two upper-class men then, I guess that the soldiers wouldn't have dared touch them or, or, or bring them to, to the police. So Jens, with all of his expertise, had laid out the history of homosexuality in Sweden for me. I wonder if they thought it was strange that Franz and Lars were so blasé about being caught, and afterwards so open to the police about the longevity of their love. I think that uh, at this time, we must remember, uh, the concept of homosexuality was not in people's minds. Uh, but many people knew. I mean, the soldiers definitely knew. And I guess that these, these two working class men also knew that what they were doing was against the law. Uh, but living together, sharing a life together, I mean, they, that was not the problem, so to say. I mean, they could do that and they could sort of talk about it. 
and um, that didn't imply that they were different or, or had sort of a, a certain illness or constitution or, or whatever. Uh, they had done things that were against the law and they were caught uh, in the act. So what about Franz and Lars's life after their three months in prison? Here's Kalle Holmqvist again. First of all, we don't know so much because uh, they stayed out of the police and that means they there's very few records. What Kalle did find out was that Lars married a woman and they had children. So we could suppose, but we, can, we cannot know, but we could suppose that they were not living together anymore, Franz and Lars, but of course we don't know. One of the striking things is that their li- lives seem to be doesn't seem to have changed so much. They had the same friends who it seems never made a big deal about their arrests. They hung out at the same bars, took the same jobs, and carried on as though nothing had ever happened. Almost as though, as they had said to the police who arrested them, it was no one else's business but their own. I wonder if their love carried on after those months behind bars. Sure, Lars got married, had kids, but I just don't see them giving ten years of adoration up like that. Who knows? As Kalle says, the trail goes cold. But what we do know is that today, in 2016, there are parts of the world where being gay is still a taboo, where people are being arrested and put in jail just for being attracted to the same sex. And yeah, it's getting better here and there, but I can't help but think that we took a wrong turn somewhere, back there in the century that came before this one. A wrong turn that gave weight to and antagonized something that shouldn't have weight, doesn't deserve to be antagonized. Here is Jens to take us out. Well, I mean, you can't actually think of, of uh, sort of gay history as 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 a as a development sort of toward the light or, or to better times all the time. It goes back and forth, of course, but I think that that it has a lot to do with what, what kinds of, um, of of ideas and perceptions people had of of this particular. Uh, crime then. I mean, uh, it only slowly uh, sort of uh, came to to Swedish minds because Sweden was uh, at that time and perhaps still is a peripheral country in uh, in European context then. Um, uh, For instance, the Oscar Wilde trial was hardly reported at all in Swedish media in 1895. Whereas a German scandal in 1908, the Eulenburg uh, affair, was widely um, uh, reported. So I would claim that uh, around this time, 1906, 1908, the 
awareness of uh, the existence of uh, gay subcultures, if you choose to call them that, um, came to Sweden through the media, through, uh, well, increased contacts also with, with uh, other countries, etc. And and, uh, often, and in the 1920s, of course, the influences from, from uh, France and Germany were, was very, very... Uh, important in Sweden, so I think it's it's a question of that that people got more and more aware of it and more and more concerned, perhaps, uh, and also all kinds of ideas that this is uh, this is dangerous, that they are going to to ruin the youth and seduce uh, young boys, etc. So that was that was sort of a concern that grew stronger and stronger during the twentieth century, and in eighteen nineties. It wasn't really there. It was thought of as a crime, a sin, something filthy, perhaps, but but uh, not really very serious. I mean, it was very much thought of in the same in the same context as as having sex with animals, and that was also seen on as as a filthy and shameful thing, but but not not necessarily dangerous or or, or, or so. Saga is me, Tom Henley. The theme tune is done by the snooze-taking Anton Beckman. And join me next time for more Saga.